I feel like I can play for two or three more years. Uh, the World Cup's in three years. That's probably a you know you know a long shot to be included in in the squad for that as a 30 36 year old. You know that's probably a little far fetched, but for me it's it's a goal. If I can stay fit, stay competitive, and stay healthy, then you know there's no reason why I can't be be you know considered for selection. So welcome to Future Driven. I'm Adam Kopp, and on this podcast, I talk with entrepreneurs and industry professionals about the challenges and the wins in their business. See the vision, drive the future. Welcome to episode two of the Future Driven Podcast. I'm super excited today. I got a good friend and colleague here with me today, Sam Windsor from the Houston Sabercats. Sam, how are you doing, buddy? Good, Copy. Good to see you. It's always nice talking to you, mate. And for you to call me a colleague is, is special. I know we've done a lot together. So Yeah, man. Well, we met a couple years ago when we, uh, we helped essentially together launch the Houston Sabercats, me on the marketing side and branding and you on the field. And, and uh, so has it been three, three complete seasons with MLR? I mean, I, obviously, I know last year wasn't complete. But. Yeah, so we're, we're heading into season four. And, you know, we can't forget that you helped us launch Strikers first, the yeah. Houston Strikers. A lot of people still remember the, the Strikers day. So you had the tough task of creating two brands inside about six months, I think, and then launching launching right. two of them so 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 it probably been about almost four years ago that uh i came down to houston mm-hmm. launched strikers so mlr major league rugby was just coming on so that would have been 2018 first yeah season? so i moved here i moved to texas in end of may of 2017 so that okay. was you know very early days in the mlr talks not many teams had kind of announced themselves i think we had seven teams in year one anyway um, made the move down from Seattle with the head coach to be a coach player and, you know, many other jobs that came along with it um, with the Houston team. So, yeah, it feels like forever ago and there's been a lot of a lot of work done since for sure. So before we dig into MLR and what's happening today, take us a little bit back to your career. You know, you've been playing professional rugby for a while, not just in the U.S. You're originally from yep. Australia. Give us a quick kind of rundown from uh, when you started playing, you know, minor league professional rugby yeah so rugby was always going to be a big part of my life my older brother played my dad played so coming out of high school went into the local professional academy and you know that was a goal as a kid in Canberra to play for the, the Brumbies the local professional team and I chipped away for a couple of years and never really got an opportunity so went to Sydney for a year played some club footy went to London for a couple of years to play rugby with my brother that was semi-professional type level um, came back to Canberra for another try uh, at, at cracking into the professional team there to to no avail really. Um, so again, just I got an older brother and two younger sisters and we all kind of flew the nest when we could, you know, after we finished high school or, or college. So traveling was never a problem for us. And it was always, you know, something that enticed us to get over to Europe and the opportunities for rugby in Europe were greater than what they were in Australia. So I took a couple more opportunities in, in Dublin and and then back to Australia for another short stint before going to Worcester in uh, 2014 end of 2014 they were on the verge of being promoted back to the premiership um and unfortunately i got injured in my first game and that was all i ever did for worcester was about 10 minutes on a monday night uh but that's the last time i was ever home so i went from the west country of england up to northern ireland and signed a one-year deal at ulster uh, which is where i probably got my first proper taste of professional rugby so i was full-time trainer senior player i got some game time um but probably not as much as I would have liked or I'd hoped to get, you know, training as hard as you do and not getting picked uh, is, is part of sport. But you know, the second year that I re-signed for a second year and thought, okay, this is my year. I'm going to get a proper opportunity because you only get better 
with repetitions, right? So if you're not playing the highest level on a regular basis, it's 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 hard to put together any form, and uh, and get better. So dropping down to play club footy or playing in the A team, and then swooping between the both, just wasn't convenient for me, and I didn't get any any momentum to my career. Whereas guys who I was mates with around me were playing week in week out, getting better, getting better, end up getting, you know playing international for Ireland or, or whatnot. Um, so I kind of lost love of the game heading into my second second season at Ulster was training super hard was in good shape um, but just wasn't getting the minutes on the field that I wanted um, and my fiance at the time Becca she was in America we were living you know doing the distance relationship and rugby in America was you know growing and there was a lot of whispers and attempts at pro rugby so I made a, an educated gamble if you like to to make the move from Belfast to, to America and seek out some rugby out here so professional rugby wasn't happening so I played club footy in Seattle for five months and then yep. the Houston opportunity presented itself and uh, we packed packed the dog in the car up and drove from Washington to Texas and we've been here for three and a half years. Nice well I will I will say that you know you uh, you are living the dream you know I know that this isn't the NFL or the NBA or anything like that but you're getting to play professional sport as an adult which is really a dream for a lot of kids and and so I think that there's something to be said there I think that the U.S. you know prior to kind of what you were talking about they were knocking on the door with professional rugby they, they had a couple attempts now this MLR seems to it is the best attempt that we've gotten so far and it each year it seems to be getting better. So, so let's, let's jump into that a little bit. So now yeah. we, cause rugby in general is, has, is constantly grown. You know, we obviously advertise it as the uh, fastest growing sport in, in yeah. the U S and uh, so with the MLR and the professionalism that it's bringing and, and someone like yourself who, who has played professional rugby in Europe now bringing that experience here amongst all the other uh, players that have, have come on, you know, so now what do you see kind of you, you played three years, you've been a part of professional, you know, the, one of the founding teams. What is the next you know, couple of years for MLR? You know, what do you think that, you know, that's how is it going to grow? It'll grow. I know mean, we're never going to, you know, being being in a relationship with the ownership group and the, a lot of the founders of the original teams, it's, you know, they're under no illusion that they're never going to be the NFL, the NBA and be on that grander scale. And I think to have aspirations and ambition to be that big is fine. And, and, and they definitely do, but rugby is a very humble sport, very modest sport. And, you know, it's, it's never going to be a multi-billion dollar organization like some of the other major leagues are. Um, but it, what attracted to me to coming out to America and Houston, you know, in particular was to be involved with creating a brand, creating an environment, creating a culture, uh, the way that I thought it should look like and feel like. So, um, from year one in you know early days of 2017 to the first season in 2018, up until what we're looking at now, heading into year four, you know it's chalk and cheese. It's two different complete competitions, you could say, with 13 teams, or so almost double the amount. Uh, there's more money coming in from different teams, and everyone's kind of got a few years to find out, okay, what what sells, what doesn't, you know, where are the markets, where aren't, what looks good on TV, what looks good on the field, what looks good on the players, um, and it started to attract, you know high class top flight international players from Australia, Europe, New Zealand, South Africa, uh, all over the world. And now, you know, coming to America to play professional rugby is almost as common as going to Japan to play professional rugby or, or whatnot. Yeah. So um, 
we're growing at a good pace and hopefully they can, you know, sustain that growth for another couple of years to bring more people along to the games, bring more people into that, that inner sanctum of rugby to, you know, realize, okay, it's not football, it's not baseball. You get something completely different um, and then fall in love with the game. So, uh, you know, we've struggled as a team. There's no hiding that. And, you know, you have to look at results to see that we haven't been the most successful team on the field. Um, and that has part to do with, I think, is bringing a sport of, the sport of rugby to a city that, you know, embraces football like, like a religion. So, um, yeah, we face many, you know, loads of problems, not just with sort of getting fans on board, but then also organically building a team from nothing. So bringing players from interstate, from overseas, uh, and you've got guys that have never been to America before coming to play a professional sport, the big bright lights of, of America, um, yep. kind of, a, well, I've, in my opinion, distracted us from you know, our real goal, which was to be professional rugby players and win championships. Um, One of the things that you know, Houston did really well is you, know, you built this whole community platform. You, you know, created a nice deal with the city, built a Viva Stadium, which you know, you've been a part of from, um, from the beginning. And, you know, and that continues to grow and develop. And yep. so I think the, the foundation, the infrastructure is there. But you're right. You were, the city or the area was missing a rugby-rich culture. Mm-hmm. That you just can't start overnight, and it's, yeah, yeah. It's and Houston, Houston's you know as big as any rugby playing nation in the world. Probably that's, yeah. pro- that's probably you have to look at the numbers and the population of Houston and Greater Houston is probably greater than, and any country that plays rugby you know across the whole world. So, uh, you know, I was I was with some people yesterday and they hadn't heard of the Sabercats before. We've been here for almost four years, so you know we're still we still haven't reached all corners of the city, um, and Houston's that big that that's you know that's not a shock to many people because it is so big, but, you know, we started at such a fast pace. I think we had to, we had to plateau out a little, you know, for a little while to kind of catch up and bring people into positions of marketing, branding and whatnot to, you know, harness the city and harness the sporting culture here in the city and apply it to our brand, which, you know, is a little different to other things. So, um, you know, we've gone up and down and round and round for three years and now we've, you know, COVID hit, which obviously threw a spanner in the works, but I think we finally found that that niche uh, market and that, and that good connection between fans and staff and players and staff and creating uh, an environment that you know appeals to everyone and and hopefully has you know a lot more landing space to grow and and get bigger. Well, rugby is, is a very exciting sport, and people get attracted to that. It's something different. It it you know challenges people. It can be confusing for people, but it's it's an entertainment. It's a nice weekend or not weekend. It's a it's a nice evening out, day out. Yeah. Uh, a lot of family activities. So, and and you know, having attended a whole bunch of SaberCats games, um, you know, you guys do a great job, great job of that. So yeah. let's let's talk about Sam Windsor himself. You know, w- you know, you've been, and correct me if I'm wrong here. You've been assistant coach. You've been captain. You've been, uh, you know, you've You've been in the marketing team. You're designing yeah. jerseys. You've, you've kind of ran the gamut over there at Sabercats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I want to know is, is, you know, your leadership style. What, what is it? Tell me a little bit about your leadership style. How are you as a leader? And how does that affect your kind of professional business life? Uh, because I think there's a huge advantage for people that have gone through sport, through not yeah. only young, uh, a young person, but then in the adult. And that's what rugby provides is the ability to play competitive uh, sport as an athlete or sorry, as an adult, you know, uh, which is huge. It's a lot of sports to just kind of end at school. 
um, yeah. where rugby you can keep going. And so yeah. I, I, I take a lot of that rugby experience, if you will, of all the years that I played and, and take that into my day-to-day life here at work. And so, you know, look, tell me a little bit about yourself as well. Matt. Yeah. So I, th- I think I made a few errors when I first came here. So I came from, you know, being a, being a tiny fish in a, in a pretty big pond in, a, in, in Europe and was never a senior, senior player in a, in a group that probably my opinion didn't carry much weight or, you know, it was kind of, you didn't want to be that person to speak up and, and, you know, it took a while because I wasn't a, a starter every week and wasn't an, a known player. It was tough to kind of find my, you know, find my place in the team. So coming here and being more of a bigger fish in a smaller pond, yeah. um, you know, great opportunity to use my leadership skills to, you know, affect the results on the weekends. But you mentioned, you know, the different roles I had. One of those roles was a coach for the first year and a half. And my competitiveness and my desire to win probably overtook my leadership skills and my my role as a coach and, and a teammate and a leader of the, of, the, of the team because I think I lost a lot of respect of my teammates by the way that I carried myself as a competitive rugby player. Yeah. Uh, so wanting to win is obviously the goal, you know, for any professional player. You know, yes, you you play for the love of the game, but we play to win, right? Whether what doesn't matter what sport you're playing. Um, and the frustrations that I was facing off the field creeped into my game on the field. So we were losing, then you know my attitude reflected that. So I'd be cranky, or I'd be, you know, I just wasn't a nice person on the field. Looking back at the time, I just thought I was being competitive and and hungry to win, uh, and I thought everyone else was kind of on the same page. But I think in such a a young league with people who hadn't probably played or been in environments that I'd been in you know, they weren't quite up to that level yet. So looking back you now, my leadership style has definitely changed from year one and two to even year three and four. Um, and, you know, I might not have been a captain of the team on paper, but, you know, definitely a, a senior player. The way I carried myself was going to impact the way we played the game. So, you know, I've, I've learned to just kind of relax a little bit uh, myself and sort of play the game as Sam, not you know, Sam the player, not Sam the coach or Sam the administrator or Sam the whatever it might be. Um, and that probably helped my game and probably helped, you know, my, my relationships with the players around me, uh, you know, heaps. Um, but it's still the problem I see we face here is, is everyone's on different pages and we need to get everyone on that same page. So there's that understanding of the group of their common goal. And, and yes, that common goal is to win a championship, but it's understanding those mini goals in between is how do we get there? Okay, how do we execute this play? Why are we executing this play? We're doing it this way so that we can get to here to score points to then win the game. You know, we, don't, we might be 90 metres out. We don't need to throw three miracle passes to then try and score a try. We need to just trust our processes, trust the structures, trust our training, trust the coaches who are in their sole role as a coach. Right? I'm now a player, which is great. So... It's their job to coach us. It's our job to play. And if you don't understand it, ask questions. If you don't know why you're doing it, ask why. And if no one will answer that question, go find someone who will or do more work yourself to look at tape, to look at footage, to work out what you do best and whatever that is that you do best, how is that going to contribute to the team to put us in in winning positions? Um, So we got five games into last year and I think we were finally sort of turning that corner and understanding that and then the season got shut down. So I'm hoping, you know, with the same coaches in place, a lot of the same players involved, adding a few new players to the squad, short runway of preseason, you know, we can we can really nail down some of the smaller points of rugby that 
probably get overlooked. You know, yes, you might be big, fast, strong, but whatnot. But if you can't play as a team and you don't understand the way the team wants to play, then you're not going to have any success. Um, and and in my opinion, you know, that relates to all assets of the world and and own life. And I came to Houston probably aspiring to be a coach when I finished playing, but having kind of had a bad experience of coaching, still love it and still feel I offer a lot as a coach and and whatnot, but have started to work behind the scenes and in the front office a little bit more. I've kind of seen the value of leadership off the field and from a you know hierarchy of presidents and GMs and whatnot, and how that filters down to then affect a team um, to probably have more value to you know I would have more value in that role in a country that kind of lacks a lot of experience at professional rugby. You know, this year we're getting better introducing a lot of people to America from Australia and whatnot in positions of power to to kind of impact that side of the game. So um, <clears throat> yeah, those those experiences. I had as, you know, a, you know, a non-senior player and no real leadership qualities uh, to what I had in the last three years have kind of helped shape my vision as, you know, a sportsman and a sports businessman at the same time. Nice. Well, I'll, I'll say that player coach is probably one of the hardest positions to mm-hmm. because like, yeah. like you just talked about, you, you, it's hard to connect with the players. It's hard to be a coach. And when you're in the heat of the game and, and with rugby a little bit different, there's not like coaches on the sidelines. So yeah. there's, you know, everybody thinks there's an advantage to having like a coach at a number 10, but uh, there's can be, you know, that's why you have captains. That's why you have yeah. these people in place and there you have game plans and trainings. And this. So, and the one, I guess the one benefit of, you know, the one benefit and one thing I, you know, I'm grateful for being a player coach was for that first couple of years is, you know, you have to lead by example, whether a coach or a player. So being both of those in a position of power, like fly half, number 10 is, you know, I, I had to hold myself accountable into standards that I expected my teammates around me to. Yeah. Uh, so I might not do all the training that they do because I might be coaching the session. So on the game day and on the field, if I made the mistakes that I would yell at them for at training, uh, it makes makes me look like an idiot and, and you right. know, devalues my coaching points or, or my position. So, you know, I, I think I played quite well for those first two years, despite the, the dual role, um, because of the fact that if I didn't do what I was telling them to do, then I look like an idiot and, you know, completely devalue anything that I say to them. So that was a benefit for me and it kind of held me in a, you know, kept me in good stead to make sure I was performing at a high level. Um, but again, you know, as a leader, as just a leader and a player in a position of leadership as a player, you know, those things should be the same um, and should hold those standards the same way. Well, you, you've, you know, ever since I've, I've known you, you've always have high standards, you have a high work ethic and it, it shows on the field, off the field. And so, you know, I look forward to kind of seeing what, what is next for, for Sam Windsor post, post rugby playing career. I still, I know you still got some, uh, some life in those legs, but uh, once, uh, once, and well, before we kind of leave, you know, leave that, you, you know, so you're, there's a potential of some USA rugby playing game for you? Is that kind of uh, – I mean, I, obviously COVID is uh, – uh, I mean, the pinnacle world. for any rugby player is to play – you know, play for – yeah. No, it's still – you know, it's still definitely a possibility for me. And there was obviously meant to be test matches this year. There was meant to be a you know, US men's camp happening at the moment, um, which has obviously been postponed or, or cancelled. Probably a little far-fetched, but for me, it's it's a goal. If I can stay fit, stay competitive, and stay healthy, then you know there's no reason why I can't be be you know considered for selection. So having been in America for you know the 36 months to to satisfy the residency rules, um, you know I think I can add value not just to the SaberCats and the MLR, but also to to USA Rugby and and help 
them keep growing the way they are and you know try and become that that tier one nation that they aspire to be yeah um well that would so, be, yeah, I would, be great yeah it'd be great for me to kind that. of it would kind of complete a career, right? If I could, <clears throat> part of me, finish up playing at that highest level. Um, and I'm, you know, we're all the same. We don't want to be told to stop playing. You want to finish on your own terms. And, yeah. um, you know, that would be the icing on the cake for me. And, um, you know, yeah, it'd be good fun. Well, I think we just made the prediction right here on the Future Driven Podcast that Sam Wins is going to put a, another three hard, strong years in and uh, give it his go for uh, – Give it his best for that. Uh, that life. Yeah, and the, and the young, you know, the younger, more athletic and faster and better looking people coming along just makes you want to play better, right? Like that's the, that's the thing that spurs me on is I don't want to be outdone by a nineteen year old. You know, I want to, I want to prove that at thirty three I can still, I but can still ball with the best the of rugby them. Rugby so. experience <laughs> is so valuable. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, there, that is the difference between the game. Um, I, I think with the sport is that is that there's an experience level that you know. You know, and so you're so what you're what you're probably battling is there are some guys that have experience that might you know that are you know a couple of years younger you know so it might yeah. not be someone straight out of college, but uh, you know but either way we're gonna make it happen and and uh, I look forward so we'll talk about that on episode uh, one fifty. Uh, yeah, good. Thank you. It'll be good on that. Okay, so let's uh, so then let's talk post career. So what is yeah. uh, you, you had mentioned a couple ideas with GM, which I, I haven't heard that from you. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, but uh, we had talked about broadcasting. You know, I, just, I think you got a natural uh, knack for. So, you know, kind of where do you see yourself uh, in the rugby, uh, rugby world? Um, yeah, so I, th I think the last, you know, this whole COVID time frame has given everyone a chance to reflect and, and kind of reassess where they're at. And it's been no different for me. And, I, you know, I would have been loved to have been playing rugby and, training full-time but you know it hasn't been the case so as I mentioned going from probably what looked like a coaching career after I finished playing to now what might be something more administration business type um, is somewhere I think I can I can add more value than what I would as a coach yeah. um, and you know looking at the way a coach's you know family social life's run you know it's not that too it's not too different from a playing life so you're away from family a lot it's late nights it's you know away trips on the weekend so um, you know, I want to have a family and my wife and I want to have a family. And I think the best way to do that and to be around more often is, is to have a position, you know, no, I don't want to be in an office every day, but with sport and sports business, you get the opportunity to maybe be outside the office, you know, regularly as well. So, um, you know, with the growing league and my experience and being here from year one, I think I do offer something to, you know, say whether it's Sabercats, whether it's the league, whether it's, you know, another team in America, the benefit of, you know, a professional player, my opinion, my ideas, my experiences to help attract more players to the game, help attract more sponsors, more money, broadcasters, whatever it might be, uh, so people can understand how rugby is different, why it's different, and ultimately why it's more entertaining and more engaging and more appealing to what should be a greater mass of people. Um, so that's, that's probably the the thing I'm the way I'm going at the moment. Um, you know, I still have a passion for coffee and streetwear and sneakers and, and things like that. So they're always going to be a hobby of mine yeah. um, and a passion. So, you know, the lifelong dream is to move back to Australia and a nice coastal town and have a coffee shop cafe somewhere where, you know, wake up in the morning, go for a surf, come back in, serve some bacon and egg rolls and a flat white. That's, you know, that's paradise in my opinion. Um, so now's the time, I guess, to build those foundations to set myself up for that, that goal whenever it might be or, or that life whenever it might be 
Um, yeah, so I mean, for me now, it's you know trying to build my brand um, and also gain experience, you know, in other areas. So working closely with JT here uh, at the Sabercats and and the coaches and the owners and working through recruitment and immigration and branding and kit and all those things, I think are just adding, adding yeah. some, you know, uh, strings to my bow, if you like, um, to then yeah put me in a position. It might not be rugby. You know, I'd love to experience another sport yeah. in America at a business level and, and gain some experience, whether it's minor league baseball, MLS, basketball, soccer, football, um, you know, this is the place to do it and this country is the place to do it. And then like what would happen here is I would take those skills I get in America and take it back to Australia, which is a much smaller sporting landscape and a different market and, and see how it transfers and whether there's any value to it. Um, well, we've, uh, you know, we were a couple of years ago when we first were, we were collaborating on sponsorships and, mm-hmm. and obviously the branding, you were a big part of yeah. that. And, and what I enjoyed because enjoyed that process because you got to bring some validity to the process is it wasn't just a, you know, an outside agency developing yep. something. It was, it was something we were connecting with the players, you know, and, and coaches and really making sure that it resembled who, you know, the organization was. And, and so that's a nice, you know, bridge that you bring. So I, I can see you doing that post-career for sure, because you can bring that life on the field, which you can, no one can replace that. You can't make that up and, no. and then bring that to uh you know, to an office. So, I and, think- and, and I think that's, and that's rugby kind of, you know, encapsulates that as a, you know, we're proud players, we're, pl- we're proud sportsmen. So we don't want to put something out that we're not proud of. Um, we're obviously very passionate about the game. So I'm passionate about what goes out on social media, what, you know, what we're telling our advertisers and what we can offer sponsors. And, you know, if, if it's not something that I would put money into, then, then why would I try and sell it to someone? And, you know, as a, as a player who's played around the world, I, you know, I'm confident that I know what that looks like. And, you know, I'm ultimately going to be the one who's going to, pre- you know, present that and, 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 you know, be, be responsible for bringing it to life as a, as a player on the field at the moment. So, yeah. um, you know, bringing a lot of those players along with me and, you know, it's tough with a split season and players leaving for half the year to really get out and, and get amongst sponsors and, and, and whatnot to kind of grow that brand and grow that, the message that we're trying to get across. But, um, I've really enjoyed that part of it and being, you know, the, the member of the team on and off the field to kind of, you know, just carry the flag of the Sabercats around the city and trying to say, hey, listen, you know, come along to a game, come check it out, want to be a season ticket holder, you know, would you be interested in sponsoring the team? Um, and as you say, kind of validating that that spend or that that involvement by by just sort of being there as in person and and doing my thing. Love it. Um, Sam, thanks so much, man, for uh, being on the podcast and uh, breaking down a little bit. Every, I like this because this is only episode two, but both times I learned new things that, uh, that I didn't know. We talk all the time, but yeah. I definitely knew that vision of what you have in the, in the far future with uh, the surf breakfast uh, uh, yeah. and the flat white. I, I look forward to visiting you down to your shop. So, you know, I know if you and the family come to Australia, mate, Washington might not get a family back. So the sooner you come down, the sooner you can stay and live that dream life too, which I know you guys, you guys well, want. It's been, uh, you know, my wife and I met in Australia. It's been 20 years, I think now, this year that we met. And uh, and so we definitely talk about going back. Yep. To, uh, I know your, your shop probably won't be right there on Bondi, but uh, um, <laughs> it'll be close. So. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, 
somewhere in New South Wales, I think for sure it'd be nice, but maybe further north towards Byron Bay or you know, that's the God's country for sure up there. Be nice. That'd be nice. Well, we should definitely collaborate and figure out how to do that together. I'll need uh, some branding, so I'll know where I'm coming for sure. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Sam, thanks so much, man, for being on the Future Driven Podcast, episode two. And uh, thanks so much, brother. We'll talk soon, okay? Thanks, Copy. Talk soon, mate. Cheers. Bye.